Which came first, faith or regeneration? My name's Hayden Clark, and this has helped me believe. Hey, hey, everybody, welcome back. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, sorry for my absence of uh, late. I've been gone on vacation uh, with my wife and her family. We went to the beautiful Orange Beach, Alabama, and uh, hung out there in Alabama and Florida for a little while, enjoyed the week. Uh, I'm a little bit sunburned. Don't know if you can tell or not. I think I'm peeling on my nose a little bit. You might be able to see that. I'm not sure. But uh, thanks uh, for joining me. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the summertime or what, but uh, had a little bit of a, a, a dry spell trying to get people on to do some interviews. I know you're probably sick of my face. You're, you're probably wondering, where's all the interviews? Well, we've had a few uh, this summer, but I've got a lot lined up now right before I left for vacation. I had about uh, four people actually respond, and, and uh, I'm excited to have them on. We'll go through a few of them. Uh, real quick just uh, so you can know what uh, to look forward to uh, one of those is uh, Hillary Morgan Ferrer I'm not sure how to pronounce her name I haven't talked to her yet but uh, she's the author uh, you've probably seen her over at Mama Bear Apologetics she started that ministry and uh, we've had a, a few Mama Bears on before but uh, excited to have her on uh, she just released the best-selling book Mama Bear Apologetics and so I uh, can't wait to have her on and discuss that new book as, as well as uh, her ministry over there and then, of course, I got uh, Leighton Flowers coming on uh, pretty soon, so can't wait uh, for that as well. Of course, he uh, does the Soteriology 101 podcast, and uh, he discusses a lot of the things that we've been discussing uh, here lately. Soteriology, that is the doctrine of salvation, and, and more specifically, uh, Calvinism and non-Calvinism. Of course, I've recently uh, been doing some uh, podcasts on why I'm not a Calvinist myself and why I hold to the traditionalist soteriology. And uh, I'm excited to have him on because I've been getting some requests of, oh, okay, well, what about these passages in Scripture that clearly teach a Calvinist point of view? And so I think I did uh, Ephesians uh, 1 uh, not too long ago, so that was a big one. And then uh, Dr. Flowers is going to come on and discuss Romans 9. And so I think those are probably the two biggest ones. Of course, there's, there's more, but uh, uh, you ask and you shall receive. So a lot of people have been asking me to go through some of those texts. I went through Ephesians 1, having uh, Dr. Flowers come on to discuss Romans 9, which is probably the biggest one. And then I've got, uh, who else I got coming on? We've got uh, Braxton Hunter, of course, Dr. Hunter, who is uh, the president of the uh, seminary where uh, Dr. Flowers teaches, actually. And so I'm excited to have him come on and discuss his debate that he uh, did with uh, atheist Matt Dillahunty. And so uh, Dr. Hunter does a lot of apologetics. He does theology as well, but a lot of apologetics. And so I'm excited to have him come on and discuss uh, that interview, um, excuse me, that debate that he did with Matt Dillahunty, and more specifically discuss an argument for the existence of God that I myself had not heard of, which um, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I, I can't believe I found an argument that I hadn't heard of before, so I was excited whenever I, I came across that. That was the argument from free will or from libertarian free will, and uh, I've never heard that formally put the way he did in that debate, and I don't know if that's just because I'm ignorant or what, but I just hadn't heard it before. So I'm excited to have him come on and discuss uh, his ministry and uh, specifically that debate and even more specifically that argument for the existence of God. And so that'll be fun. And then, of course, I got uh, Dr. Matt Queen coming on from uh, Southwestern uh, Seminary here in Fort Worth. Uh, he's a professor of evangelism. 
and wrote a, a short little uh, booklet called uh, Everyday Evangelism. So I'm excited to have him come on and talk about personal evangelism and kind of uh, some different things they've been doing at the seminary to reach out to the community and do evangelism there. So there's a lot to uh, look forward, so stick around. Uh, don't get too disappointed that there hasn't been so many interviews lately. I swear it's not because I haven't been trying. i uh, just been having some difficulty getting uh, people on for whatever reason, again, perhaps because, uh, like I just did, everyone's been gone on vacation and stuff like that. It's a busy time of year. But uh, we've got some good stuff coming up, uh, some things to look forward to. Hey, if you want to uh, support our, our ministry and the podcast here, uh, be sure to uh, follow the Patreon link in the description and uh, head on over there and become a supporter. You get a lot of bonus uh, access, access to the bonus material over there and, and things like that. We sure appreciate it. But let's get into today's topic. So again, uh, lately we've been going through kind of a little mini-series where I've been talking about soteriology, that is the doctrine of salvation, and more specifically, uh, why I do not approach soteriology from a Calvinist perspective, or why I am not a Calvinist, and why I do hold, or I do affirm, the traditionalist uh, statement of uh, soteriology. And I've been doing this by going through uh, John Piper's book, Five Points, and uh, that is the Five Points of Calvinism. And I think it's beneficial to do it this way so that, um, I mean, I guess you could still accuse me of misrepresenting Calvinism, but I've, I've really just been uh, quoting John Piper and and offering a non-Calvinist critique of that. And again, I do want to say that uh, John Piper's a great guy, and uh, I highly respect him and his work. And if you're going to be a Calvinist, by all means, be more like John Piper. Uh, he's a great and humble guy, and uh, he's done so much for the kingdom of God that uh, no could deny that, and I'm certainly not uh, going to do that, and I'm certainly not going to try to uh, misrepresent or, uh, you know, say something disrespectful. That's not my intention at all. Uh, I do disagree, obviously, though, with the five points of Calvinism, and that's why I've been uh, going through his book and uh, offering that critique. But uh, we, we came to the um, Calvinist uh, doctrine or viewpoint of irresistible grace, and so this is uh, the idea that um, uh, when God... Uh, calls when God calls you you know that you you cannot resist um, you're going to believe uh, different ways of stating that we'll, we'll give if I if you feel that's misrepresented I am gonna do more on this doctrine and this viewpoint and I'll quote uh, from Piper as I do so and so he'll give a better definition than whatever I just said so you know don't hold me to that too too harshly uh, but but today I, w I wanted to touch on something that's not unrelated but it isn't going to be straight from Piper uh, because in the midst of doing this of, of course this would happen to me in the midst of doing this little series I've actually visited a church with my wife uh, recently where the uh, pastor could easily uh, have been uh, labeled as one of those young restless reformed pastors uh, and um, or one of those cage stage Calvinists that is just to say that he was very dogmatic about his uh, Calvinist views, which is perfectly fine. And again, this wouldn't turn me off of that of uh, joining that church or being a member at that church or sitting under uh, the teaching of that pastor. Of course, I've, I've stated that before. I hope you know that I would not break fellowship over this um, issue. However, he was specifically talking about this matter, um, irresistible grace, that is, and how regeneration precedes faith, which is fine with me that a pastor or even my pastor might believe that. Um, again, I wouldn't break fellowship over it. But it, it wasn't just him stating that he believed this and that he believed it to be the biblical perspective and that he provided what he thought were uh, biblical proof texts for that view. Um, it, it was the way in which he described the alternative. And he used phrases, you know, to anyone who might disagree with him 
uh, um, like robbing God of his glory or mitigating God's worship. And I kid you not, at one point he used the phrase humanist. If you believe faith precedes regeneration, you're pretty much a humanist. Now, f from my perspective and uh, being someone who um, is, uh, you know, up to date or whatever on apologetics and uh, Christian philosophy, when I hear the word humanist, I immediately associate that with atheism, of course. Um, and that's what most, most atheists, or I'm sorry, a lot of atheists would, would want to call themselves, they wouldn't want to uh, identify themselves as atheists as to, that is, they don't want to identify with what they're not, which is not a believer in God. They want to identify themselves with what they are, and they would call themselves a humanist because that's a, a positive statement. They're, you know, for humans or however you want to define humanism. And, and so that was how he, he, um, he, he called uh, people who believe that faith precedes re regeneration humanist. And I almost fell out of my chair. My wife looked at me like, oh my gosh, don't do anything drastic. <laughs> of course I'm not, though. I, I hope through listening to this, uh, me discuss why I'm not a Calvinist, you'll see that I'm not disrespectful or anything like that. I sat there and listened to it. Um, and at one point during the sermon, he uh, pretended to be Lazarus. Of course, you, you hear this illustration a lot from uh, some Calvinists uh, say, did when Jesus called Lazarus uh, back to life from the dead, did Lazarus give consent? Did Lazarus blah, blah, blah? And uh, he pretended to be Lazarus, you know. Uh, he was literally like dancing around on stage, you know, pretending to be Lazarus, giving consent or something. I'm really not sure what he was trying to prove because I was just so mind blown. I've just never seen somebody act that way before. It was, um, um, sorry, it was just very childish. Um, as if Jesus calling Lazarus from the dead has anything to do with soteriology, but um, anyway, um, I digress. And so that was an experience I had recently, and I just was mind blown that uh, a pastor would act that way and... and, and blatantly misrepresent and mischaracterize and then, uh, you know, call them humanists and trying to rob God of his glory. Anyway, so we come today to uh, ask the question, which came first, faith or regeneration? Now, I wrote a blog article about this topic of faith and regeneration, which came first, <clears throat> not too long ago. And, um, I'm going to write a follow-up uh, blog to it as well as another uh, podcast, uh, perhaps, because as I started writing, I really wanted to write about the way in which we dis even have this conversation that is kind of a conceptual analysis. Um, I hope that's the right wording, but it just kind of seemed to fit with what I wanted to talk about before getting into the different texts and proof texts that each might turn to prove their point. And so I was actually going to write the first half of the blog uh, being kind of a conceptual analysis and then get, get into some of the texts. But uh, I really want to give an in-depth um, analysis of the texts also, and so it kind of just turned into it's going to have to be two different things, otherwise the blog post would just be really long. So if you walk away from this and say, well, he didn't even do any exegesis or he didn't even look at the scriptures or whatever, we're going to get there, okay? Just give me the benefit of the doubt, all right? We're going to get there. But I first wanted to talk about just the way in which we have this discussion because it seems to me there seems to be, it seems to me there seems to be, sorry about that, a uh, lot of confusion on just what we mean by the words uh, that we say. And uh, this pastor that uh, was uh, mischaracterizing the non-Calvinist position and uh, uh, many Calvinists that I run into, not all, of course, um, and actually, let me just go ahead and say, since uh, we do discuss John Piper, he actually gives a very fair representation of this uh, not too long ago in a YouTube video that I saw. Uh, I think it was called The Heart of the Calvinist-Armenian Divide or something like that, in which he actually does give a proper um characterization of the Arminian perspective, not the traditionalist perspective uh, like my own. I don't hold to an Arminian perspective, and we'll get to why I don't. Um, 
but um, the traditionalist perspective gets very little attention anyway, so I'm not going to complain about that. But the mischaracterization or the confusion seems to, to me to be if is that many Calvinists and definitely this pastor seem to believe that if faith precedes regeneration, that is, if we first believe and then we are made alive, then we are given a new heart, then God regenerates us. Yeah, if that's the case, then somehow we have earned our salvation, or we have earned our regeneration, our justification, um, by having faith. That faith is some somehow merits or earns salvation. And this, I think, is something that has to be cleared up right from the beginning, because that's just not true. That's a, it's of course not true. Um, no non-Calvinist, whether Armenian or anyone else, would ever accept this uh, idea, first of all. That, that faith is somehow meritorious. Um, on, on, on Arminianism, faith is only made possible first by what's called prevenient grace. And John Piper actually talks about this. He quotes from um, Roger Olson, who has uh, some good books on Arminianism, Arminianism theology, and why he's not a Calvinist, two different uh, books that are pretty good. And uh, Jacob Arminius himself held to this as well. And so tr traditional or historical Arminianism would say that um, I think they actually concede too much just to go ahead and, and get my view out there. They, they cede to the Calvinist position that we are by nature, or because of Adam's sin, all humanity has fallen in the sense that uh, they are totally unable. They, they don't even have the capacity because of sin or because of Adam's sin, because of an inherited sin or guilt, uh, that we don't even have the capacity to believe in the gospel. That is, in your fallen state, even when you are presented the gospel, you still cannot believe that God or the Holy Spirit must first do a work inside you that enables you to believe. And this would be um, have more to do with what the Calvinist means by irresistible grace. Now, me, I would say that that, um, that the Arminian first seeds too much. I don't believe in total inability. I don't see anywhere in the pages of Scripture that because of Adam's sin, we are unable to believe or have faith. That's a, again, we'll get to the texts another time, but for now, I just want to uh, talk about this. Um, I think that the Arminian seeds too much. I don't, I don't believe in total inability. So if you, you say, do you believe in total depravity? Yes, if I get to define it. If you don't get to load it with uh, concepts like total inability, then I could definitely agree with uh, total depravity, which we already did an episode on, what John Piper describes as total uh, depravity in his book, Five Points, and I pretty much agree with everything he says in there because he doesn't mention total inability, at least not explicitly. But on the Arminian perspective, this idea of prevenient grace, um, it seeds total inability, but then it says that at the cross, when Jesus died, uh, the effect of that on humanity, the effect of Jesus' death atoning work on the cross, um, resulted in what is called prevenient grace. That now, though at, after Adam sinned at the fall, all humanity fell to the sense that they could not even believe in the gospel, Jesus undid that. He, he, did, he undid total inability for all humanity. That now everyone can believe. And I haven't really done a deep dive into this yet. Um... But my first thought is, well, then it's believing in total inability was almost unnecessary. 
Um, if everyone everyone can believe, that's the result, which is what I believe too. Everyone can believe. I just don't see total inability. But I, again, I, I would have to read much more on uh, what Armenia said about this and what uh, people in his tradition, including Roger Olson, have written and spoken on this subject uh, as well. But right now, it just kind of seems almost unnecessary is my first, my initial thought. Of course, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, only once. But just kidding, I'm wrong actually all the time. But but anyway, I don't see that. Uh, I believe that we can believe. Now, there's there's nothing that you can do. And I don't, that there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing that you can do to merit salvation from God. You are totally unable, so if you want to use the word of inability, you are to- totally unable to save yourself. And faith, it does not merit salvation. That is to say, there's nothing about you believing that necessitates that God save you. It doesn't have to be that way. You, 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 it's not necessary to be that way. It's only that way. The reason it is that way, the reason God does save people who believe, is because of his promise. It's because that's what he's promised to do. That's what God has spoken in the scriptures, and that's why I believe it. I don't believe it because I'm afraid to to admit that human beings are in some fallen state or whatever. In fact, I think my view actually has a lower view of man and a higher view of God, despite what the Calvinists might say. It's not a game I really want to play, but they play it all the time, and I think it's a game that the traditionalist uh, st- um, viewpoint of soteriology would actually win, but, you know, let's just play the game of which one is more biblical, which soteriology is more biblical. And I think clearly from the, the, the text of Scripture, and we can get to this uh, in the next episode where we actually look at some texts, uh, we will see that man is able to believe. You can believe in the gospel. And... Um, I believe that grace, so back to uh, prevenient grace. If I don't believe th- that in prevenient grace in the sense that uh, the Armidian uh, means it. That is to say, we're unable to believe, but Jesus at the cross provides prevenient grace to all humanity so that they can now believe. Uh, I do believe in prevenient grace in the sense that grace is prior. That's what the word means, prevenient. It means prior. And so God's gr- work of grace is prior to our faith for sure. And it's prior in this sense, first of all, in creation. I mean, obviously, God has created us. That's a work of grace. Um, it's it's prior in the atonement. That is that Jesus has provided atonement for all of our sins on the cross. And then God's grace is also prior in the sense that he has sent the gospel out into the world. And the gospel itself is God's power for salvation. That's what uh, Romans 1 explicitly says. It is a revelation from God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And it is God's power for salvation. So I believe that God's grace is absolutely prior to faith, absolutely prior to us being saved, and that we cannot save ourselves. And faith itself does not merit salvation. And I don't believe that faith merits salvation because salvation is itself a gift. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you merit. It is a gift from God. It is the grace of God. And uh, ironically, this is what the Calvinist always turns to. This is a gift. This is a gift. This is given by God. This is a gift. Of course it's a gift. But gifts must be received. I mean, I can give you something and, and, and you can reject it. That, that's what I'm saying. It can be resisted. It can be rejected. And here's what I mean. So if I freely gave you, of my own graciousness, uh, a $100 check, and you took it to the bank and cashed it, and got that $100, and then you went around town and started boasting or bragging about how you earned $100, um, whether that be because you chose to receive it or whatever, but you started bragging because you earned $100, who, who on earth would take you seriously? Nobody that knew the truth of the matter, of course. 
maybe if they didn't know, then they might say, well, maybe he did earn it. I don't know. But if they knew that I freely gave it to you, not because you did anything to earn it, I just wrote you a check because I'm a nice guy or whatever. Um, don't get your hopes up. But if I just, you know, if I, if it was a gift, then, and then no one would think that, uh, you know, that you had earned it. That would be silliness. But of course you must receive it. You could have took the check and gone and ripped it up. You could have rejected it. That would be silly and foolish. And ultimately that that's exactly my point that, um, you, you can reject it. And in, and if you think that it, this grace, this salvation is irresistible, the word irresistible must mean that you cannot reject it. You, you, you cannot resist it. You, you must accept it. There's the, you don't have a choice in there. You could not have done otherwise. Now, if I forced you to take this, so if I gave you a check and took you to the bank and cashed it and put the money in your pocket, could you have resisted? No. And But the fact that you could not resist it means it wasn't a gift. That's not a gift. That's not what the word gift means. That, that would be me forcing you to take it. That's not a gift at all. You, you had no say in the matter. It, it wasn't a gift at all. So the fact that it's a gift means that it could be rejected. I mean, otherwise, I don't know what you mean by gift, and I certainly don't. If you think that a gift um, is somehow irresistible yet can be rejected, you've, you've got a, a, a faulty definition of either irresistible or of gift because a gift can be rejected and irresistible means no rejection. You, you could not have done otherwise. You had to accept. So those two are not compatible whatsoever. And you can appeal to mystery or whatever all you want. But once you understand the definitions, this is how logic works. Once you understand the definition of irresistible and once you understand the definition of a gift, you realize that the two are not compatible. They're logically inconsistent. It's not a mystery at all. It's logically incoherent. So many Calvinists, and I think we're going to see it in John Piper, would say that irresistible grace is not forceful or coercive. And um, you know, many Calvinists say this. Well, then, it's, then it's not irresistible because irresistible means, by definition, not able to resist. You cannot resist, and that's what forceful means. That's also what forceful means. Irre force is irresistible. I mean, you. If it cannot be resisted, then how in the world is it not forceful or coercive? And again, it's also not a gift because gifts can be rejected. So if you want to contend that the gift of salvation, repentance, or faith can be resisted or rejected, um, call it irresistible all you want. It's not. And congratulations, you're now a non-Calvinist. So the Arminian and the traditionalist agree with the Calvinist that you cannot make yourself alive. You cannot cause yourself to be regenerated. And we also state that faith is not meritorious. It's, it doesn't merit salvation. Having faith in Jesus is not earning your salvation. That's simply receiving the gift of salvation. And God has promised to give the gift of salvation to those who believe. It, there is a condition. It, it, it's not arbitrary. It is conditioned on faith. You must believe. You must repent and believe. And it's a gift of God. A gift can be rejected. It is not irresistible. If it is irresistible, then it's not a gift. You need to change that term. It's not what the word means. Um, so that that's more or less what I wanted to get at here, just so we can frame these things properly before looking at the texts. Because once we go to the text, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna come back to these terminologies: irresistible grace. We're gonna come back to faith being, I mean, uh, yeah, faith, repentance, salvation, all of it being a gift from God, and the fact that uh, gifts can be rejected. You can reject the gospel. And so we're going to come back to these, but uh, first wanted to give this kind of a conceptual analysis so that we can know what we're talking about. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll get to some of the texts that surround the question of irresistible grace, 
And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Again, if you want to support the show, go on over to the Patreon link in the description and become a supporter. If you uh, like the episode, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe and leave a review and all that good stuff. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.